Welcome to the Novel Discourse Podcast. Andy, what do we do on this podcast? It's been a while since you've been here. Can you say the tagline? Do you remember the tagline? Uh, I, I'm sorry, Sam. I don't remember anything before the birth I'm, of my son. So, <laughs> everything really, is different. I'm a new man. Yeah, my whole <laughs> life is different now. Your, your perspective on the world has totally changed. Well, we like to say here that we, we discuss great stories and how they're told. Um, of course, this is Sam. He's Andy. Andy, it is great to have you back. Web, Web was awesome filling in for you. We're going to continue to have Web on the pod for all of our specials and some of the stuff that we're looking forward to here in the fall. But Andy, awesome to have you back. We 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 greatly missed you. Do you recommend being a father to our audience? Would you or or a parent? I guess I should say. It's it is both the most uh, rewarding and joyous, and also the most exhausting trying time of your life i would say if you're gonna do it that's the company line uh, you just gave us the company line right there. the week after you have your kid don't have your in-laws come stay with you for a month i think that would be <laughs> my prime piece of advice don't also move into a brand new house like yeah don't out of apartment, don't all don't that. move into a, ho- a house and make it into a hotel like immediately that's a, a bad business maneuver <laughs> Before this pod started, if you're watching on our YouTube channel, um, you'll see that there's some U-Haul boxes behind Andy. And I was like, hey, do you think you can move those for a better aesthetic? And I could just see the life kind of draining out of him. If they they were full of anything but books. (laughs) Yeah, they're full of books. So they are like 100 pounds each. They're heavy. I would have to go get a a dolly. I could tell that it's like the hundredth time over the past 48 hours that somebody's told you to do something. Like move something and you're just like, dude, I want to sit down and talk about films for a second. I am really happy to be in my new home office. Like you can't see all the cool, but I have like cool shelves with all my cool Legos and my F1 memorabilia and allegedly very nice uh, pottery barn leather chairs so that someone can sit in here and we can have a business meeting. Although that'll probably never happen. Shouts out to pottery barn. That's that's top dollar. Hell yeah. You're, you're living the high life now. Well, like I said, great to have you back. And part of the way that I feel like I got you back to the pod is we were throwing around ideas in the group chat about what we're going to do when you come back and we were talking about doing Any Given Sunday. I fucking love this movie. You you have a thing for um, like 90s films that are both great and iconic, but also cheesy as hell and oh, oftentimes yeah. star Al Pacino. Like this that is, is this is niche. like maximum camp, yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, it's it's. This crazy. also came out. This is like a there was like an era <clears throat> where football had really become big business in America. Finally, like when you talk to like our dad's generation about football, like football players, a lot of them had jobs in the off season. Like not that they didn't get paid well, but like it wasn't the media spectacle that it is now. And in the late 90s, early 2000s, we had this era where people were suddenly very interested in this concept of, like, football player as celebrity. And we got this, and then a little-known, maybe little-known to some of our listeners, I'm sure you have heard of it, an ESPN series called Playmakers, which only ran for one season uh, before the NFL threatened ESPN that if they didn't cancel this show, they wouldn't be allowed to broadcast NFL football on ESPN anymore. And... Uh, so but that and that series and this movie, I own both of them on, on DVD. Uh, right. they, I think they're a great pairing together because they are kind of our first, um, this is what professional football is really like behind the curtain. Like this is the crazy personalities that you're dealing with when you step into this world of high octane right. athletes. Um, and I love this movie because in the background of this film was like, this is one of, it, it's worth for any of our listeners, go read about the filming of this movie because they basically nuts. got like yeah it was insane and they also got like some of the biggest like most alpha male type 
actors and athletes to be in this movie and then had them really play like competitive football scenes against each other. And like LL Cool J and Jamie Foxx got into a full on fist fight on set like 10 different times, which you can almost, it almost translates really well to the scenes because they are, they hate each other in the movie too. And so it works really well when they're like talking shit about each other. It's great. So I love this. I heard it. I, there, there's so many good background uh, background information about the filming of this movie. Some of it I, I learned for the first time getting ready for this podcast. One of these was Aaron Eckhart was on the Rich Eisen show, and he was talking about when he was filming this. Um, he walked on the set one of his first days. He, he, he hadn't started filming yet. Um, and Aaron Eckhart in this movie plays the offensive coordinator whose name is escaping me. Um, but... He walks onto the field. He's just kind of observing the filming of these first few scenes. And Al Pacino is standing by the field. He's going to film a few scenes of them in practice. And the a lot of the extras are actually going through football practice, doing Oklahoma drills, doing things like that. Right. And Oliver Stone walks up to him and is like, hey, go, like, go get in there. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, I haven't done, like, makeup. I haven't done hair. He's like, no, go in there. Go talk to Al Pacino. Go talk to the players. Just kind of, like, get into the role. He's like, okay, so he goes in there, and um, they're doing this drill. I think it's the drill that they show in the movie where it's almost like a punt return, and the ball goes yeah, way yeah, up in the yeah. air. Somebody catches it, and they surround him, and one guy messes up. This guy who's you know six foot five, jacked, ripped dude, messes up. Aaron Eckhart walks right up to him and just grills him, goes into him, nice as a real coach would, and be like, "You motherfucker, how dare you? You don't ever drop the ball, blah blah," and just reams him out in front of everybody and things kind of break up and the guy walks up to him and and gets right up in Aaron Eckhart's face and is like I don't know who you are man but if you do that ever to me again I'm gonna rip your head off and he and Aaron, Aaron Eckhart had to be like I'm your coach in the movie I'm just getting into... <laughs> and everybody started laughing because nobody knew who he was nobody knew that he That's was in the so movie awesome. or anything everybody just thought he was some guy that came onto the scene and was like yelling at him some production guy but he was just trying to get into the role so like you said there's a ton of parts in the movie um when they were filming this where they got super into the the role as you talked about sometimes they got a little bit too into the role um but man, it it really just shied. Uh, any given Sunday, this is based off of the, um, I guess you could say the nonfiction novel by Pat Tomei, the same name. This is an NFL player that played in the, um, in the seventies, I believe, about his yeah. experience in the NFL. This was like one of the first. We got a series of these from the seventies to the nineties that were kind of like tell-all books about like the dirty secrets of these various leagues who had worked very hard to portray like a very all-american clean-cut image uh for the nfl that was embodied probably best by like tom landry and the cowboys like they were to the public eye like the cowboys were this very like conservative you know they got this coach who wears a suit and a uh, a trilby hat on the sidelines they're america's team and then at the same time in the 90s like the dallas cowboys are legitimately like a large pack of drug addicts who happen to be really good at football. Like yeah. Michael Irvin is stabbing teammates in the neck with scissors over spots in the haircut line. Like it's insane. So people were very interested in this. It was also a time of great change in both sports media and football in particular. You were seeing the rise of, uh, the idea that like you don't just watch football on Sunday, football and sports in general are covered like twenty four seven, and so people wanted to know more about like what are the players doing right now, what are the players like, 
Um, and at the same time, you have this rise of uh, both in football and in basketball, the rise of kind of the hip hop culture that would end up like fusing into mainstream pop culture. These were kind of embodied yeah. by two players, I think in particular in basketball, it's Allen Iverson yep. and in football, Michael Vick, um, who, and, and I think it's very, it's almost fascinating that this movie kind of comes out in 1999 and Vic doesn't come into the league until the next year. Uh, but you could almost like you, if I didn't know the dates, I would almost believe that it was like based on Mike Vic, right? Like it's this very like, Oh, you know, the, the quarterback is a white man's position. They want this like clean cut old cap type guy. And here comes hip hop, you know, bobbing Willie Beeman, steaming Willie Beeman. He like, he runs the ball. You have the, uh, the Skip Bayless stand in character, uh, yeah. played by Dr. Cox from Scrubs. Who's like writing these like beautiful flowery puff pieces about like a, a warrior poet who's changing the dynamic of the position. Like that's all the yeah. kind of language we used about Vic when he was like coming out of Virginia tech, coming into the league. Um, and so this movie kind of chronicles all that and shows you kind of the dirty underbelly of this sport where it is like it, people know this a lot more now, but like these guys are getting, you know, you're supposed to get like, you know, three painkiller shots uh, in your lifetime. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to, if you're going to get the, the rapid acting painkillers or anti-inflammatories and these dudes are getting three a day, you know, coming up to get ready to play these games because they have to stay on the field. They're trying to, you know, one of the more tragic tales inside of this movie is that of shark, the star linebacker, Who's at the yeah, end of his play career? Like, is he Lawrence play, Taylor in real life? It is. It is, is real Lawrence. It is the actual Lawrence so Taylor who delivers an amazing He's performance. In this movie. Yeah, yeah, he is horrifying, and they he they give him this really like sad role where he's clearly at the very end. He's like probably has what they didn't know at the time was CTE, but he right. has this sack number that if he gets to, he gets a million dollar bonus, and so he's like, it shows that dynamic of it's not just the evil league being like. We want these guys on the field, even if they're hurt. It's the players that are like, "No, dude, <laughs> like, I, I got, I got bills to pay. I own three mansions and five Ferraris. That's a lot of car payments. Like, I gotta be on the field." So, it's an it's an awesome movie, and they got a a stellar cast. Um, Al Pacino yeah, is fucking is wild in this movie, but loaded. he's great. Yeah, yeah. Jamie Foxx is Al Pacino. He's just totally in his element. Like, okay, Absolutely. you're gonna be an alcoholic coach. It's a little bit over the hill. You've got a temper problem. Like it's just everything that Al Pacino wants in his roles. It's so absolutely. Great. You said you, absolutely. you started listening, but you got Al Pacino, Cameron Diaz, Dennis Quaid, James Woods, who is nuts in this movie. He is um, a psychopath uh, in this movie, dude. Yeah. Uh, Jamie Fox, as you said, LL Cool J, who his aunt, low key one of the better acting performances in the whole movie, in my opinion. Like especially and, and, like for where I'd put him on the on the, like the scale, like what I would expect of LL Cool J versus what he puts out is, is compared great. to other roles he's done, like compared to like deep blue sea and stuff. He's really out here <laughs> yeah. doing thespian shit, dude. This is a great yeah, performance by him as like he the is. star running back on the team. Um, one yeah, more thing about this it? from the social aspect that I, that I wanted to get into before we get into the movie is you, you kind of touched on this with Alan Iverson in particular. There was this weird dichotomy in the nineties. It's I feel like it started in the nineties and maybe it started a little bit earlier. Um, when, when the money for athletes started getting, insane and as you said yeah. the hip-hop culture started being infused into the sport there was this really weird dichotomy where it felt like owners and coaches and media wanted some of that and they wanted players to be loud and they wanted them to be like very easy to advertise but they didn't want them to be too authentic and like for sure there was a lot of like race involved in that obviously and like very famously Allen iverson was absolutely himself 100 percent, and then 
seemingly out of nowhere, the NBA makes everybody wear suits to the league. Suits on the sidelines. Yeah, Yeah. dude. They got real conservative. Because that was like, dude, people forget this now because of how the NBA is and how much power the players in the NBA have, which I think is great in many ways. But like, there was a time in the NBA where they were like, oh, you're not wearing long shorts. Like you're not wearing like you know what I mean. Like they were they were cornrows were Headbands, banned for a yeah. minute. Yeah, visible tattoos were a big fight forever. Um, this is a very very different uh, sports landscape than what we occupy now. And I think this movie is kind of right at the tipping point. Like '99, the turn of the millennium was like sports before and after this like moment in time are so different from one another. Yeah, a hundred percent. This. This movie was a $55 million budget. Box office earned about $100 million, so it was definitely a hit. Um, the runtime is about two and a half hours, so I can Bro, this movie is absurdly it. long for what it's it is. It's way too like, long, yeah. It, it, like, like, knowing what we've just told you, if you've never seen this, you're, you're envisioning, like, a tight 85 minutes. Dude, Hell this no. movie has, like, nine different plots. It's like, it goes on forever. There are definitely moments where you're, you're watching this movie, and you're like, look at your watch, like... Damn, dude, we're doing this for another hour and a half. <laughs> like, I mean, so, if you just took cut out all the slow mo, that that would cut off fifteen minutes bro, of the movie. There's a full on scene in this where Willie Beeman is shooting like a, a protein shake commercial where he does a rap song called "Steam and Willie Beeman," which is a bop, which is a by great scene. Yeah. yeah, but it, you'd feel like in most movies that would be like they would show a clip of that, like fifteen seconds. No, dude, this is like a full three minute music video like just stabbed right and they the go back and thing. show it like several times they <laughs> multiple show it. times yeah. yeah it's on at the bar like it's on the tvs and stuff yeah. Like, yeah it's so great so yeah let's let's get into it man so um like we said this this movie takes place kind of at turn of the century you know the first beginnings of the modern nfl and there's a lot of discussion about that like what football is in this movie it's kind of about a team who won a ton of championships with like a classic run first offense and now they've brought in Aaron Eckhart, who is Nick Crozier, like the the Kellen the the Kellen Moore, if you will, the the young gun hotshot who's going yeah. to revolutionize the game. Yeah. yeah, passing attack, blah blah blah. Um, and the team is kind of dealing with like how it's going to do with that, how it's going to deal with its passing players and its new guys. So, and it does star a whole ton of NFL talent: uh, Dick Buckkiss, Y.A. Tittle, Pat Tomei, Warren Moon, Johnny Unitas, Ricky Waters, Emmett Smith, and Terrell Owens are all in this. And the, uh, I think one of the coaches is Barry Switzer too. So, yeah, he is, the, yeah. this got full sign off from the NFL, which is pretty crazy given how they treated playmakers. I'll um, tell you what, they didn't get sign off for the for the teams, and I wish they had because the uniforms. Dude, that is one of the worst parts that is one of the worst parts of this film that makes it <laughs> shitty is that like hey the miami sharks i can deal with that okay like, that's, that, that's sh- pretty a, solid that's yeah. fine and they're all and they were all black uniforms which is tight like objectively they look sick. like texas tech i, I like school yeah the, and i like how they're they they reference the miami dolphins in the movie and they make them rivals which i think is kind of cool like crosstown rivals cool. the dolphins versus yeah. the sharks but then after that it's the dallas Bro, when Crusaders. they go to dallas when they go to the, they oh. play the dallas knights dude and it's like gold and red and brown, and the logos are just like, oh, it's all horrible. Like all the the set design, as far as like the actual football, is terrible. So the logo goes to... across the entire field is just yeah. so ugly, dude. It there's a absurd. team in this movie called, uh, and I don't think they play them, but I think they just show a schedule, and I think their name is the Houston Cattlemen. Yeah, yeah, that is it. Which <laughs> <That's laughs> so is bad, dude. terrible. I mean horrific <laughs> like the washington commanders would be a cool yeah, team in this league exactly. that's how bad it is it's so, so anyways. it's t- it's set in 2001 
and they play uh, in the Association of um, uh, Associated Football Franchises of America, the AFFA, and uh, we we kind of join our protagonist team, the main focus of this movie, the Miami Sharks, who are kind of a once great team. They're almost, I, I don't want to say they're the Dallas Cowboys, but it's a similar situation where they have this like Hall of Fame coach, a bunch of Hall of Fame players. They won multiple championships, uh, you know, many years ago. And now they are kind of coming up against what the Cowboys were at this exact same time, which is like the Emmitts, the Troy Aikmans, the Michael Irvins are retiring. Do you keep on you know, coaching and, and players who have certainly earned Hall of Fame careers but are probably not worth paying what you're paying them now and they're not providing the same performance. Um, and also, on, from an ownership standpoint, the, the owner of the team has passed away and ownership has passed to the daughter of the former owner. And her name is uh, Christina Pagniacci, <laughs> which is amazing. She's like the most wopish wop ever. And her, and it's played by Cameron <laughs> Diaz. Back. So it makes no sense. <laughs> it goes back to the names we talked about on the, uh, murder on the Orient express. Where it's, yes. always, it's just like, the, yeah. it's like the most Italian name, the most, whatever oh, sleazy McPizza face is the yeah. uh, coach of this team. So she, and she's trying to modernize the team. So she's brought in, uh, Aaron Eckhart, who's Nick Crozier, you know, this kind of hot young offensive coordinator, uh, and I guess the the real focus is on two particular characters, which is thirty uh, year veteran head coach Tony D'Amato, played by Al Pacino, who is again like has you know five championship rings or whatever, but no longer the guy. And his starting quarterback situation, which when we join this movie, uh, you've got Dennis Quaid playing uh, Jack. Cap Rooney, who is kind of like a Brett Favre type. Yeah. Uh, Gunslinger, type but he's past his prime. Yeah. Gunslinger past his prime, super addicted to painkillers. Probably <laughs> sending dick pics, but. Absolutely. Who knows? Uh, and. Then, so it, it, as we join the movie, this it's we're in the middle of a game. The Sharks are kind of like I think they're like two and two on the year. They're not having a yeah. good season. No, they, yeah, they've lost three straight at one, or maybe it, it's two. It. They've lost two straight at that point, maybe three. But this is the craziest game in the history of football. This it is. is a real game. <laughs> this would be this nuts. would be nuts. So Cap gets hurt. So they put in their backup quarterback, and at this point, we become aware. Can we of talk about Fox. how he gets hurt real quick? Yeah, please. All, all the hits in this movie are insane, but we can start here. So as they talk about later in the locker room, they're doing a max protection, which basically just means you're leaving in, what, seven blockers, I guess? Eight, because yes. eight plus a quarterback, and then three guys going on field. Max protection, which means you should definitely have an appeal blocking, and two guys get past the blockers. One goes high, one goes low, and they almost chop him in half, and they, he breaks <laughs> his back. literally break his spine, dude. Like, yeah. on, like a clean... Dude, the only way this would happen in the modern NFL is if, like, your offensive line hated you. Like there's no way they would. Yeah, allow or you're Daniel same time. Jones and you have zero offensive line. Yeah, like, it would have Flowers to just be the worst tackle. team in history. <laughs> like yeah. Eric Flowers would have to be both of your tackles for this to occur. How it occurred. It, in your the entire film. offensive <laughs> line is Chaz Green. <laughs> <laughs> so so he he gets his back broken and it's great because he is trying to act tough and then I guess when he hears that they're on a TV break he all of a sudden starts yelling uh and he's just like my back's broke they're trying yeah they're trying to get all and that's the and, th- and that's a big that's a big focus of this film is like oh they're they're stopping for a tv timeout because i guess that was kind of a new thing at the time and so they make a big to-do about like how media has infiltrated the once great game of football it's all about the money now so yeah. caps out they put in their second string guy and you see uh jamie fox who plays uh willie beeman steaming willie beeman and he's the third string quarterback 
He's down at the end of the bench. He doesn't even have his helmet. He's chilling. Well, backup quarterback Tyler Cherubini goes in and gets murked first snap. And so D'Amato's like, yo, Willie Beeman, you're in, dude. And he's like, what? So he's looking for his helmet. He goes out Two career-ending injuries in two plays. In two plays. Basically. Which, yeah. the most intimidating thing that could ever happen on a football field. So, by the way, this backup, they said at one part of this movie that he tore his ACL and his MCL, and then he played the next week. <laughs> yeah, dude. They're doing all kinds of stuff that is just flat-out illegal in the modern NFL. They're messing like they're with the sliders so much in the back. The injury sliders got turned off after this game or something. I have Dude, no they, idea. They're sending dudes out there with like active, multiple active concussions at the same time. They can't see straight, and they're like, shoot him up. He can fucking play. <laughs> like It's yeah. so dark. So yeah. they send Willie Beeman out there. And Willie Beeman uh, does his what becomes his like signature move, which is like go out into the huddle and puke. And, like, then, ball. So, he goes out there. He, he kind of fucks up a little bit, but he and, and he, they do not win this game. But he shows a little bit of flash, right? Like, starting to show, like, hey, maybe we've got something here. And they're all like, okay, maybe he can, he can play until, you know, Cap's back. Because we, we see after the game that, like, Cap is going to be gone for a minute. His back is straight blown to pieces. Yeah. Uh, Cap's, Cap's in a hospital bed screaming at the nurses that he's a football player god damn it I need something with a little more kick because all, yeah. all they give him is a stupid morphine drip which is hilarious he can't so, he can't roll over but he swears he's going to be back in like three weeks it's great absolutely absolutely so uh, obviously D'Amato's like on the hot seat now like this team is like kind of running into the ground they're like kind of iconic star quarterback has now been injured and D'Amato's going to have to ride with this third string quarterback who got drafted as a corner out of college because of, I guess, like kind of because of racism, to be honest. It's kind of the explanation in the film. Yeah, they They're said like, he was really, so he was like super athletic. They said he had fast hips or something like that. Fast that feet. That's a, fast, fast feet. They said, you got fast feet, boy. We're going to make yeah. you a cornerback. So he goes out there, he gets blasted, he gets hurt, and so that's where he's been since. So now he's going to play quarterback for the Sharks, replacing Cap Rooney. Um, now at this point, we see the dynamic that D'Amato's under. He goes to see Christina Pagniacci, and she's basically like, bro, do whatever you want, but you're fucking out of here pretty soon. Because, like, I'm I'm going to bring in Nick Crozier. He's going to be your successor. We're going to start passing the ball a ton. And we're going to get a new stadium from the city of Miami. D'Amato is like, hey, your dad never interfered like this. And she's kind of like, yeah, well, my dad's dead. So fuck off, old man. So yeah, she's kind like of a the, badass. I kind of like she, her. I, lo- she is, I, I really she is like the character web. And, and this, this film has a very, for what? Um, for what Oliver Stone's trying to accomplish, I love the character web. You got this owner who's new age. You have the coach who's very set in their ways and is older and is is kind of needs to go out to pasture, but has accomplished a lot. And then you have the coach and the player that also kind of represent that, like the respective those respective camps, the new age versus the old age. So it's one of the better Absolutely. things about this movie is the way that the characters are set up from the start. Agreed. Agreed. So they have this kind of like butting heads dynamic from the very start. She hates their conservative offense that D'Amato runs. He runs the ball like every fucking time. It is it is Pete Carroll offense time for sure. It is. It sucks. It's not. Well, in in the next game, uh, Beeman decides he's gained a little confidence. He's starting to make plays. He decides he's going to start changing plays in the huddle. So like, you know, Coach D'Amato's calling like 
basically halfback dives on like half the snaps. And Beeman's like, what if we did a draw play? <laughs> like, or what if we did a, you know, play action? And they start scoring hella touchdowns. It helps that one of his leading receivers is Terrell Owens, which they don't, he's like the number two receiver on their team. Like I've got one of the actors is the number one receiver, but Terrell Owens is like their, their Z guy, which I was like. He's like a top three receiver of all time in real life. Bro, this but... is, and this is 2001 T.O., dude. He's like, oh. he is a god, dude. He is an absolute yeah. beast. So yeah. that that certainly helps their offense a little bit. Um, and so we watch as Willie Beeman is kind of thrust into the spotlight and becomes like an instant overnight celebrity. And he has clearly not been prepared for that because he was like the third string guy on a team that has, you know, this is like to this league, this is like Tom Brady getting hurt and his third stringer becoming a superstar. Um, yeah. No one ever thought this guy was going to play. So he's starting to like try to take over, not as they get on a winning streak. He he not only gets confidence in himself, but he starts to kind of like take a leadership role on the team, like tell guys what they should do. And that rubs some dudes the wrong way. Uh probably number one, his number one enemy is uh Julian Washington, played by LL Cool J, who is the yeah. star running back for the team. And he's like, I'm not getting my touches. I got a shoe deal with Reebok if I get to fifteen hundred yards, like all this stuff. Beeman's not going to really let that happen because he's out there airing it out like every time. Yeah. Uh, on the other side of the ball, you have what we mentioned before, sh- the linebacker known as Shark, played by 2001 Lawrence Taylor. So it's a pretty good shot. He was like actively in the middle of cocaine addiction while this was being filmed, and he shows it every ounce of it in this game, in this movie. It is crazy. So the whole team is kind of like in, embroiled their winning now, which obviously heals a lot of things, but the dynamics of the interpersonal relationships are really complicated. And D'Amato's trying to weigh the, he knows winning is keeping him in, in the job, but he also yeah. hates how it's happening. And um, you see in real time, you see Willie Beeman's personality go from a kind of like meek, confused, like third stringer that totally knows his place and is just kind of is okay with riding the bench. And then once he, taste success he starts getting more and more confident and then eventually cocky as hell and yeah and it is it's realistic in in a lot of ways and i love how um a huge focal point of this story is the fact that he's earning like basically minimum wage for the nfl which is probably i, I they might say the number but he's making like two hundred thousand bucks a year right yeah and but he's like the most valuable player on the team after like four games because he's the only reason that they're winning and uh it's I love the the build of Willie Beeman's character from again there's this meek humble dude from Texas who's kind of the the light the lights are a little bit too bright for him too just the most cocky son of a bitch in the world. Yeah, he like kind of he chases his girl away like his his longtime girlfriend leaves him cuz he's acting like such a jerk a jerk. He Yeah. There's a great scene where uh after they win a game Shark invites him to a party and he tells him there's going to be a whole lot of trim there. <laughs> which is a, a really horrific way to tell someone there's going to be girls at your party. But <laughs> Billy Beeman goes to his house and uh, they go to the party and he's kind of talking shit a little bit to Julian Washington, who then proceeds to go to the, to shark and be like, Willie says the defense isn't doing their part. So Shark goes out front and cuts Willie Beeman's car in half with a bandsaw, which is pretty incredible. And then in the next game, the the O-line refuses to block for him, and he just gets murdered the entire game, and they lose. Is that Um, the game in the the rain? In the rain, New York. Yeah. Yes. That's a very Oliver Stone scene. It's just so, so gritty and over the top. It's just the most, like... It's like a they're playing. Sequence. They're playing in like four inches of water. 
Like they're getting tackled into like actual puddles, which like I mean I've seen rain games. It doesn't get like that. Like and it's so, so dark and rainy that you can't even see the the stands. It's like they're playing in just like a field, like a field. Yeah, it does. In, they're playing in the shadow realm, basically. It they they really are. It is truly ridiculous. So as this is all escalating, uh, Damato is is still like in this beef with Pagniacci, who's also kind of like contemplating moving the franchise. Uh, and so that's all going crazily. Everything is just thrown into total chaos at this point. Uh, and this is when we get the first, or uh, we get one of a series of kind of these like monologues that Oliver Stone has in, in this movie for Al Pacino. He has like a bunch of these just like, like speeches he gives. And so he gives one to Willie Beeman telling him to basically like, you know, Hey, shrink your head. Like if you're, you know, if you win a championship, you wear this ring, like that's, what's going to get you paid long-term. Not like, this you know, is this, highlight the, reel. is this the model? Is this, sorry. I kind of, I kind of cut you off, but is this the monologue that he gives? There's a few monologues he gives to Willie Beeman. First of all, there's the, there's a really racist one that he gives on the sideline <laughs> where he's like, act, act you're like you're playing. Pretend you're back in the hood. Your mom is ringing the dinner bell. Just you tell your friend, go to the Buick and turn around. <laughs> just like, okay. God. So when I was watching this um, a few weeks ago, I, again, I hadn't seen this movie in like 10 years. I watched that scene and I just thought that it was a horribly aged scene. And then they actually go back and readdress that where Jamie Foxx was like, hey, you said this to me and that was really racist. So I'm, I'm kind of glad yeah. that they went back and readdressed Agreed. that. Otherwise, I'd be like, what the hell? Yeah, um, it, it's, are, it's uncomfortable for sure. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're like, what, dude? I'm like, <laughs> like, am I the only one who thinks that's wrong? Like, uh, anyways, you're, I think you're talking about the scene where they're at their meeting at his house, which, by the way, yeah, Al Pacino's house dinner. in this movie is sick. It's so, so cool. tight. It's like on Star Island in Miami. He's got like beachfront property. It is so dope. He makes him everything's this like terrible... wood grain, but like not not too like tacky. It's very seventies yeah. style. Huge windows. He um, makes him he's this terrible ben jambalaya. Hur. Yeah, he's yeah. watching Ben Hur. He makes him eat this terrible jambalaya, and they have a discussion about like what it means to not just be a quarterback, but to be like a leader of men. Um, and so it's really Beeman, weird because like... they keep cutting uh, they keep cutting out of the monologue and showing shots of the sky. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yes, <laughs> it shows, it's very all of Lots of like clouds moving by and then it would go back to them. And one thing I did like is that as their conversation heated up, it started showing Ben-Hur. And then as it started yelling at each other, it's like people falling off chariots and stuff. Yeah. That, that was kind of cool. But there's a lot of other moments in this movie, like I was saying with the clouds, where somebody will be talking and then it will cut to something that is com- seemingly completely irrelevant as they're yeah. talking and it's like, what are you trying to tell me right now? It's like, a, it's, I don't know. It's, like, it's, it's some of the scenes are shot like a music video. It's very interesting. Yeah. Um, it's, it's for a movie that is so comic and like out there and almost like laughable how out there it is. There's these moments that try to be really sober and really artistic. And I'm like, what are you going for here? So it's very, it's edited really weird. I think. Yeah. Film. Oh, it definitely is. It's, it's, this is definitely in the same, like, editing bucket as like JFK or like some of Oliver Stone's other strange films, but it's, it's incredibly entertaining for sure. Um, so the, the, the playoffs are coming around and the question becomes like, is Beeman going to stay in the starting quarterback role once cap is back from injury? Um, this is kind of the Dak Prescott, Tony Romo situation. And we're made aware of the fact that like cap is like not a hundred percent, 
about like the idea of continuing to play football. Like his body's a wreck. He's super addicted to painkillers. He doesn't, you know, have the fire that he once did for the game. And his wife, who is revealed to be like the worst human in the world, yeah. is like basically like you're a pussy. You need to fucking you're Cap Rooney. You got to play football. Yeah. And she, he's like, well, I mean, I got this offer to come be an analyst for like a ton of money. She's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, basically, like kind of sort of an abusive relationship to be oh, honest yeah. oh very um, abusive yeah have you do you remember yeah. the story of lucas glover have you heard that i don't so lucas glover is this pga tour golfer who i think he won the u.s open um but it came out one time that his wife maybe they got divorced maybe they didn't i'm not sure but his wife was beating him because like oh when God. he wouldn't make cuts yeah when he wouldn't play well she would hit him and she'd be like what's wrong with you so, it, 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 dude, it, when you watch this movie, it kind of seems a little bit far fetched that like a stud quarterback would be berated like that. But dude, you got to remind yourself those those relationships are real and they exist. Well, and so. they exist. And like, let's say you call the cops on your wife, and you're a professional athlete, and she's like five five, and you're like, you call the cops, you're like she's beating me with a golf club or something. The cops are gonna like kind of chuckle at you. You know what I mean? Like that's what happens yeah, a lot yeah. of times. It's really fucked yeah. up. So. Yeah, the dynamics of all the interpersonal relationships in this movie are really tragic. Like, uh, Al Pacino's, like, cut off from his family. Like, he leaves drunken messages on his wife's answering machine trying to see his kids. They don't want to talk to him. Like, Rooney's in this terrible relationship. Beeman blows his relationship up. Um, Also at this time, right before the playoffs, is what, what I think is probably my second favorite scene of the movie, which is the shower room monologue. The alligator? No, this is this is the this is where they go in the in the sauna and it's Willie Beeman and Shark and Shark gives them the you know when you hang up the cleats you have to be proud of what you've done for your whole life not just while you played football um, no, and it no, almost feels true. like Lawrence Taylor is like just talking about being Lawrence Taylor and not about Willie Beeman and fake whatever right. but it's this really deep thing where basically uh, he he tries to impart on Willie like how like don't get to where I am and realize that you didn't enjoy any of this because you're really lucky to be where you are. Like it's, you're really lucky to be getting paid money to play football, like to be celebrated for playing this game that we love so much. Um, and also make sure you find something other than football. Like don't give your whole body, soul and mind to this game. Like that's tempting because that's what it takes to be great. But if you do that, if at the, if you retire when you're, you know, 35 and your body's broken, you're going to be in a wheelchair for your whole life and you haven't developed any other interests or skills or anything, it could be really tragic for you. Um, and that's also something that I think people are just sort of becoming aware of at this time. Uh, sure. Former football players like that, you don't hear nearly as many of those stories from like the older years of football. And now we're much more aware of like, the really dark aftermath of many football playing careers, especially guys that take a lot of head injuries like shark is shown to do in this movie. Um, unfortunately, uh, Willie Beeman kind of like doesn't listen at this point, <laughs> at least at this point in the movie, it just kind of falls on deaf ears. Um, and so it, the playoffs are, are, are here and cap Rooney is going to go back in. Um, so right before the game, the, their playoff game in Dallas, uh, we have what I think is the best scene of the movie, which is the Al Pacino speech to the team with like the dramatic music in the background. Oh yeah, he's like, "You give an inch, you fight for an inch." Like that is, it's an incredible. Like it's probably one of the top, in my opinion, like top five sports movie coach speeches 
I honestly think you might be cutting it short. I think it's maybe top three. It's it's really yeah good. yeah. Um, it's amazing, which is so funny because this movie is, I would say it is. <laughs> this movie is known for its like it's it's kind of a circus. It's entertaining, but it kind of doesn't not... earn this moment like at all. Like right. it's very it almost comes out of nowhere. You're like, wow, that's like really good and deep and touching. Weird, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It would be like if a really motivational and good speech came from, like, Johnny Knoxville's movie, The Ringer. You'd be like, yeah, okay, yeah. like, I'm probably not going to remember this, but that was actually pretty good. Uh, we were talking about um, Crazy Stupid Love a few weeks ago, and it kind of had, like, a, a speech at the end that kind of had some good points. And you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm never going to remember this speech. And it, it plays a little bit like that. Now, the fact that it is a sports movie, I think, will it will hold a little bit of weight. Where you'll yeah, for sure. you think about sports movies, you're like, well, what was this? What was the coach's speech? And that's a good coach's speech for sure. Um, I would say that, and then the scene again where Al Pacino—I'm uh, forgetting the character's name—Al Pacino's talking to Jamie Fox in his house. Those are the two scenes that I think have really good dialogue, and I think the rest of the movie is kind of—it's give or take. You know, some of it's realistic, but it's not really like deep dialogue. But that—that's a really good speech. Absolutely. So. They're going to play what are the stand-in for the Dallas Cowboys in this movie, the Dallas Knights, which are fucking atrocious, like, as far as just, like, the color scheme. They are playing in Texas Stadium, the old Texas Stadium, which is really cool to see, but it looks bizarre because, like, obviously they couldn't repaint all of Texas Stadium, so it's all blue and white, and then the field is this horrible, like, gold, black, red color scheme that this fake team has. It, it looks, looks like you go into NCAA football and create a team, and then you just like, throw and you don't really know what you're doing. Stadium. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. awful. So, uh, as they're going into this game, Cap is like backed, ready to play. There's a big fight between Pagniacci and D'Amato about who's going to start, who's going to play. Uh, Rooney does go back in. He, he plays well, but he gets hurt again. Uh, and we this see guy. him, we kind of see him adopt like a, like an assistant coach role. He puts on the headset. He's like helping Beeman call plays. And they go into halftime. Pagniacci storms into the locker room. She's there to like fight with D'Amato about starting the second, you know, he's got to play Beeman. Uh, and then Beeman comes up and is like, he already told me I'm starting the second half. So that's when we get the uh, kind of like your very quintessential sports movie moment where it like comes down to like one final play. And Beeman does this like ridiculous, like, uh, draw run, delayed quarterback run where he like jukes out 14 different guys gets hit as he jumps for the end zone and does a full like 360 helicopter into the end zone like John Elway style uh, and they they score and they win um, that's what Dak was trying to do in the playoffs this year absolutely absolutely to to less of an effect certainly <laughs> um, and then we at the end like that's kind of the end of the movie is them winning this game and then you see a press conference where uh, you're told just in, in uh, voiceover that the Sharks lost the championship uh, and that they, they lost in the, in the final game, the Pantheon Cup uh, to San Francisco. And we cut to D'Amato's final press conference as head coach because he's been released. And uh, he thanks. Was he uh, released? He, was he fired then? Or did he just, like, was it just yeah, like, a po- well, was it like I, an exit interview for the season? I think I think it was him being released because the understanding through like most of the movie is that like I don't care what you do I'm replacing you with Nick Crozier because Crozier tells Pagniacci halfway through the movie like I'm not just going to sit around and wait 
to be for for that job to come open forever i'm already getting head coach offers from other teams and she says you're the head coach next season so i assume that he him being coach and waiting kind of he kind of jason garretted the wade phillips of the situation um so damato's giving his press conference he thanks christina pagniacci and everyone's kind of expecting him to announce his retirement because obviously he's been 30 years with the same team he's probably not going to you know go anywhere else but instead he drops two huge bombshells he announces that he has been hired as the coach and general manager, so no more interfering front office, of a new expansion team in Albuquerque, <laughs> like New Mexico, the Albuquerque Aztecs, <laughs> and he assigned Willie Beeman to be his franchise player and starting quarterback, and that is the end of any given Sunday. There, there are so many things wrong with that last scene. First yeah, of all, when, it's you, absurd. When, when you watch that scene, you... You literally don't know if he's kidding, because yeah. neither oh, does yeah. the crowd. And I'm because re- like I, I'm hearing what you say. I have the synopsis pulled up. I still don't know that that was actually what he was doing. I part of me thinks <laughs> that he was kidding because because he says it with kind of like a coy smile, and everybody in the media and behind him and within the organization is kind of chuckling, but then they're not sure. Is that really what he was doing, or because to me it's not very clear. What, what I'm, what what I'm very, what I'm very interested in is what is the contract situation that allows for Willie Beeman to just secretly be signed by a new expansion team? Like, yeah, was he in a contract year? That must have been it. He must have been a free agent at the end of the season because after the season they just had, they went. He he stepped in having never played. Took them to the Super Bowl. Effectively, they lost to the eventual champions in the Super Bowl. And the Sharks are just going to let that dude walk? Like, yeah. that would never occur in the history of time. I mean, especially given that Art Rooney or Cap Rooney is, like, not coming back probably or, like, is really old at least. Like, none of that makes sense. But it, it's a happy ending for Willie and a happy ending for Coach D'Amato. So it works for the film. Um, but it is absurd. And, yeah. They I, give him man. the Bill O'Brien contract. They give him not only are you going to be the general manager, but you're going to be the coach, which I don't think that's ever worked in the history of sports. It's a uh, terrible idea. I mean, I guess Bill Belichick kind of has that capability at, in New England a little bit, if not in name, then in power to pick his own yeah, sure. guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's usually a fucking horrible idea. And, man, can you imagine – like out of all the major cities that are capable of getting an NFL team, like an expansion team in Albuquerque sounds pretty fucking shitty. So yeah, but listen, I went to Albuquerque last year. I had a great time, but it's it doesn't oh, seem I, like, it doesn't seem like a city that could have like, it's not big enough. Or, I feel like, or would necessarily like want slash care. You know what I mean? Like that's not their yeah. vibe is like, we want an yeah. NFL franchise here. Um, yeah. Very strange. I mean, they're, yeah, there's there are cities that are super great. Like I, I think you know I've had great times in like Tulsa, but Tulsa shouldn't have an NFL franchise either. You know what I mean? Like yeah. very weird. Salt Lake City doesn't need an NFL franchise. Um, yeah, great example. But yeah. there's um throughout this movie, like again, like uh, a lot of this movie is focused on kind of like the dirty underbelly of football. We see like that medical staff, how they treat players, and the the lengths they'll go to to keep guys on the field that probably shouldn't be. Uh, we see the dirty business of football. Uh, like I mentioned at the beginning of, of the show, Playmakers took this one step further, and that was to, like, make the the players into, like, some of them were actually really bad people. Like, they were, like, beating their wives and stuff like that. 
And then the real bombshell, and I'm sure what ESPN got in trouble for most was they had a gay guy on the team. And that really <laughs> took it over the line. So yeah. Oliver Stone didn't go that far. He did have a... Oh, and they also had a starting running back who was so addicted to crack that he had to have his drug dealer pull up to the stadium and he had to sneak out to the tunnels to hit a crack pipe or he couldn't play in an NFL game, which... That's so absurd. Damn. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> <laughs> so, and no one knows. Oh. He, he, it's, a, it's a big secret. No one knows that. I was like, bro, I think you'd be aware if you were like a debilitating, I can't go two hours without crack level crack addict. <laughs> You're starting running back in the NFL. Like, <laughs> you, you think that would affect press your field vision or something? Yeah. I don't know. Well, or just but. like you think you think he'd be able to like give normal, totally on the level interviews with the media. If he's like fiending for dope at like all hours, but, (laughs) um, but overall I think it was like, this movie is super stylized. It is not remember the Titans and it is not a, a really in-depth look at football. All the actual football scenes are insane. They're all like pretty much slow motion of perfect spirals being thrown and every single play is either like a quarterback run where he jukes out 40 people or like a ridiculous Hail Mary where, you know, he throw he threads the needle between three outstretched defenders and hits the Or t- somebody the literally dies. Like if it's an unsuccessful yeah. play, it's a fumble return for a touchdown or somebody breaks their back. And if it's a successful yeah. play, it's a sports center's top 10 play. There's no yeah, in between. I think there's like absurd. one play in the entire game that's like a 14 yard run but even then somebody he gets he jukes out somebody like eight times yeah absolutely it's insane but but overall man like this is a if you're if you're a sports fan if you're like a a football person this movie is like required viewing like it's it's super fun it's got like we said super loaded stat super loaded cast uh and it is an incredibly fun ride despite its somewhat long run time (laughs) can i i'm gonna i'm gonna throw something out there from just a writing perspective from a directorial perspective from an editing perspective <laughs> this movie sucks like this movie's not good that's fair that's fair <laughs> it's not a good movie but it's entertaining and there's a difference between the two like i would never if you write direct edit a movie that comes out like this i'm gonna be like dog you need to go back and change some things and this movie famously on set changed a lot of things they had to reshoot a lot of things. They had to make a lot of script changes. This movie is a total mess. It plays into the runtime. Did you know this movie has 3,000 cuts? I, bl- I 100% believe it. Because, like, <laughs> dude, some of the scenes, like, some of the scenes when they're, like, showing a, a piece of football action are, like, six or seven cuts within, like, three or four seconds. Like, it'll just be, like, cutting between, like, five different it's people. It's so or, unnecessary. Like, five different cameras looking at the same guy or, like, yeah. And, like, the it makes super heavy use of like filters to show like when, like when he's in the bar and it's all like super warm tones and he's like drinking the whiskey and they have directional mics on the ice cubes in the glass. And then like you mentioned the almost dream sequence rain game where the, the visibility is like four inches. Like it's coming down so hard that like the, the, all the jerseys look identical. Like it's a really cool, like stylized Oliver Stone take on NFL football, but it is like outrageously done. And yeah. Very it's outrageous. It's, it, I almost want to compare it to now. These movies are obviously nothing alike, but when you talk about a movie that is like edited, really weird, has campy, corny dialogue and is heavily stylized, but also you should go see it. If you haven't seen it, is it reminds, it's a little bit like 300, Oh, where yeah, it's like no, that's th- a great comparison. That's a great comparison. It, it checks no boxes, but it's still really entertaining, and you should see yeah. it if you haven't yeah. seen it. 
Yeah, um, and, and and just like three hundred, it basically takes like some stuff that really happened, and then like fudges about fifty percent of it to make it cooler, and then just like outright lies about a bunch of other parts of it to make it cooler, right. and like that's what you're getting. So like, yeah, similar to how in three hundred, the Spartans are like, huh. Look at all these boy lovers from Athens, and it's like anyone that knows about Greek history is like, well, the Spartans were, they were they were boy, boy loving as well. Like they were not <laughs> yeah, they were, they the were about loving. that life. <laughs> like, well. That's yeah. not uh, they would not have viewed that as an insult. I'll tell you that much. Right. So, similar situation with this, where it's just like every player is like a super prima donna. Everyone, every player is like jumping off a yacht into a Ferrari. Every player is it's they're in they're at like a fundraiser for like the city of Miami boys and girls club. And they're the two star players of the team, like the starting quarterback and starting running back who have like Nike deals are in the bathroom doing cocaine off of prostitutes and having sex with them. Their wives are like 10 feet away and the media is outside. It's like, don't get me wrong. I know players wild out. I'm, I'm a Cowboys fan. Like I, I know, but Michael Irvin wasn't doing that. Like, yeah. At the boys and girls club fundraiser in Dallas with Jerry. Right. That was like, they go to a hotel. Yeah, well, like if Michael, you watch the owned, last... Michael owned a separate home for that, specifically yeah. for that purpose. So you know he's smart. Yeah, these guys, these guys were wilding. I mean, you watched the last dance. Michael Jordan would talk about that. He'd go to hotel rooms and you know he'd knock on the door to be the veterans, and the veterans would all be doing cocaine or whatever, right? Um, I find that whole scene so funny, dude. Where he's just like, like, don't get me wrong. I don't think Michael was some like deviant, but but friend be like, buy... I never did that. Yeah, yeah, I, I do not buy at all that he was like, I walked in and they were cursing taking the lord's name in vain and drinking alcohol and i said not for me gentlemen and i went back to my room and read my bible i was like mike come on dude you you've been gambling until five in the morning the night before playoff games like i think you've been up to no good before like that's fine which like specifically with that scene i would have been more okay with that if this you know when he lost the game against the the knicks and he had to i think it was like a two game uh two game sequence on the road in the playoffs and he like went to atlantic city if he had owned yeah. up to that and been like, yeah, I had to blow off some steam and I was out gambling for six hours, sue me. But instead he was like, oh, well, what was the big deal? I went out, I, I played a few hands. It's like, dog, you were out until three in the morning. So right. I Dude, agree with I, you. I, I would believe him more if he didn't like obviously lie about something yeah. else. But When I was a kid and I saw Space Jam, I dead ass thought that was Michael Jordan's house and Michael Jordan's family. Like I thought Dude, he lived too. in like Waters Crossing. And oh, and they have him like, if you watch the product place from that movie is so great. I hate to get off topic, but this motherfucker's eating McDonald's like three meals a day in that movie. He's like <laughs> always eating McDonald's. And I was like, bro, there is no fucking way on earth that a world-class athlete like Michael Jordan, who took it that seriously was like, all right, we're about to play the ghost. We're about to go to seven games with the Pistons who will beat the shit out of me. I'll just house like nine McNugget meals before I go out here, dude. Like, yeah, it's great. So he's on the Michael Phelps diet of just like yeah, eating absolutely a gajillion whatever. carbs. <laughs> just eat yeah. whatever, dude. <laughs> like, oh uh, but dude, this movie is great. You should absolutely see it. And I think if for no other reason, then you get to watch like Al Pacino be his most Al Pacino. You get to watch Jamie Foxx be his most Jamie Foxx. And you get to see Oliver Stone like absolutely in his element in a movie where the stakes are incredibly low. Like when you watch JFK, it's like a mental undertaking to watch JFK. It's like a lot. This is like, you can just totally enjoy this. This is guilty pleasure as it gets. Uh, and like you said, it's not a good movie, but it's a great time. And I think that's there, that there's a, a, a niche for that when you're watching. There movies. is a total, the total, total niche for that. Uh, yeah, dude, I'm going to go watch heat I... on my new home theater tonight. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Fuck it, man. 
I think I where I struggle a little bit with this film is knowing knowing that it's an Oliver Stone film, knowing um, the kind of topics that he wanted to hit on. I mean, Oliver Stone is is a very political writer and director, and what he I and think what he crazy. had to say in this film <laughs> a little crazy, yeah, and kind of crazy. <laughs> Uh, his sit down with Putin is nuts. You should definitely watch oh that if God, you haven't. Dude. Have you ever uh, seen the the Have you ever seen his series on Netflix that's like supposed to be like the a history, documentary the untold history about of America? America or whatever? Yeah, dude. Yeah. Where it's like half of it is like kind of just made up. Like it's just like really, really slanted versions of facts. Like his World War Two episode is literally like low key the Soviets beat Germany by themselves, and we were just kind of there. I was like. Okay, guy. X, like, X come doubt. on, man. Yeah, no X, joke. X button ask the, hard. X button ask the Russians. Ask the Russians if that's true, dude. Like, no one thinks that. I've never heard that take ever. Like, but yeah. it is fun. It's well done. I, I mean, mean they, like, they, they they did they 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 more than pulled their weight on the on the Eastern Front. Absolutely, but, um, no we, one's taking it away from. But that it's it's like all Oliver Stone projects. It's like you're clearly a nut job. This is this is very entertaining work for a job like <laughs> yeah. like JFK like an hour into the three hours that is JFK you're if you're anywhere near a normal human who's done like even paltry research about the subject you're like okay this is made up but this is great <laughs> like it's because it's full on like senators like twenty senators getting together to whack Jack you're just like okay man like come on dude like, yeah it's so over the top I haven't seen there's there he I mean. Can we go down his his list? His yeah, I mean, he, I, I, we can't gloss over the fact that Oliver Stone has put out some crazy movies, some bangers. Uh, Bro, Platoon, he did the last temptation. He did the last temptation of Christ, which is a crazy movie. If you've never seen, what that. is that? like? I, I have not seen that. It's a movie where Jesus is fucking, dude. Like, okay, he's he's banging, dude. Him and Mary Magdalene are are fucking about it. <laughs> like, it is a borderline softcore porno involving the Christ. That's wild. Uh, so he's got Platoon, he's got Wall Street, and then the uh, Shia LaBeouf remake with that. And he's got Scarface, bro. Yeah. I mean, he's got he's got absolutely iconic movies. He has a Purple Heart. I didn't know that. Damn. Yeah, I mean, he did Snowden, which I really liked, but he's also done, like, Alexander, which is... Which is so a bad. Tra- a travesty to humans and film, and Alexander the Great, so... This I, I I I don't know if I completed my thought, but I think where I struggle with this film was he has something kind of important to talk about, which is this intersection as we talked about of like the sports as we consume it in this capitalist market with all this money coming into it versus like the exploitation of athletes. I think that's yeah. kind of generally what this movie's about. For sure. Um not just with black players, obviously that's like a huge topic, but also what you see with like Dennis Quaid's character. Yep. Um and the co- even the coaches I would put in that category. But then how it's presented, and it is just comical. Like you talked, I mean, we, we, yeah. we I kind of hinted at the scene earlier about the alligator getting thrown into the the shower. What a totally unnecessary well, and just dumb, like, like everyone in this scene. movie is a caricature. Like so, all the white guys on the team are like death metal rock and roll, like kind of quasi skinhead Nazi guys who are like, yeah. but they're friends with all the black guys who like. All the black guys on this team are naked in the shower wearing, like, gold rope chains. Like, they're all wearing, like, jewelry and nothing else to shower in an NFL Which, locker like, room. what? Like, yeah. It's all absurd. I, I feel like as a director, you can't make uh, statements or um, have writing that you know, speaks to race issues and then also have that. If you're every character But you know what? That's be... kind of, like, his his signature thing is, like, presenting, like, really important, I would almost use the word, 
ideas alongside like the most surrealist, bizarre shit. Like it's like he he'll make a movie about how the earth's flat. And in the middle of it, there's like a monologue that really touches you about like what it means to grow up and how you, you know, intake information about science. You're like, well, he made a good point. It's just surrounded by the most bizarre coding of whatever this is. Yeah. Damn. I forgot he made world trade center. I've not seen that. That's pretty, it's pretty hard, dude. It's, it's rough. He, then he made W that was, I actually really enjoyed W. I thought that was good. Um, <laughs> it's like showing, uh, also it's like showing him orchestrating nine 11. You're like, Oh, this is, all, this one's based on facts. This is he, made, he, made, he made, he made George Bush look really human, dude. Uh, he, he was also, pers- <laughs> he also personally tortured people at Guantanamo Bay in that movie, but otherwise like pretty <laughs> aggravated victim. And then he made Savages in 2012, which is just like the most like just ham-fisted attempt at a movie in the world. What is Savages? I, I remember hearing about that. Savages is a movie based on a book. Uh, it's about two best friends. One's a former Navy SEAL and one's a botanist, and they run a giant weed-growing operation, and they share a girlfriend. And then they run a, uh, they run up against the the Mexican drug cartels, and the cartel kidnaps their does their that have singular Kirsch in it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I've seen that movie. Dog, Taylor Kirsch plays the same character in every movie. He's still just playing, like, you know, grizzled but still pretty chill veteran guy who knows how to work at M4. Like, yeah, he's just like Tim Riggins. If Tim Riggins went off to war, he just plays Tim Riggins all over the place. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He, he, had, he had one shot at being a ma- like a A-list guy, and that was when he was in John Carter. And John Carter, and I feel bad for him because that movie was dog shit bro and they spent like the most money ever yeah i feel bad for him it wasn't his fault man that movie that the editing the cgi the writing was dog shit so but hey have you watched the uh have you watched the um terminal list i have not you should watch it on hbo or it's on prime it's got uh chris the guy from Guardians of the Galaxy, what's his name? Chris what's Chris Pratt. Pratt. It's really good. You should watch it. We should definitely do an episode. Oh, oh, the terminal that. list. Okay, yes. Yeah. I was thinking I was confusing it with something else. Yes, I have watched the terminal list, and it fucking slaps. I'm also yeah, about to go watch the Gray Man tonight with my boy. Oh, that's a slapper. I can't I've, I've wait. been yeah. watching I've I I just started I just started uh Tokyo Vice Slapper and we're getting way off topic. I'm just listing slappers that I've watched recently because we went we went through the movie so fast so now i'm just telling you everything i've been watching um there you go uh the boys we need to do an episode on the boys i like really Bro, like the i boys. i love the boys and we can do we should that's a special episode because the boys is one of the few things where the the like adaptation is way better than the original source material like i've read the comic yeah. and it's like kind of trash like we can. I'll save it for the episode. But suffice it to say, the guys who are doing the adaptation of the boys are doing an incredible job because they've almost rewritten the whole thing, and it's so much better in the show than it is in the comic book. So that's rare. Hell yeah! So yeah. back to any given Sunday. Um, what do you like about this movie? Uh, I mean, it, it's it is just mostly like a fun time more than anything else. Uh, but I do think that it gives it's. Like the NFL's very controlling about like the media it allows to be made about the sport. And it does not like the gritty tale of like what's actually being done behind the scenes in the league. And so we don't get that many looks at that except for like the horrible moments when it 
really appears in real life. You know, a player yeah. murder suicides his family or some horrible domestic abuse situation. Um, and so this movie offers like a glimpse into the life that we all know is being lived, but we don't get to see very often. Um, and two man, I'm just like, I am a huge football fan and I am one of those football fans that like, I love the spectacle. Like I love touchdown dances. I love all the, you know, showboating and shit talking and all that kind of stuff. And this movie kind of like embodies that in these players. Um, you know, my parents and my grandparents' generation was way more about like you score a touchdown, you shake hands, hand the football to the ref, and then go back to the sidelines and smoke a cigarette and think about America. But I love this <laughs> brand of football, you know? Um, yeah. So this is like a – it's a movie that it is to like that brand of football what like Remember the Titans is to like the good old boy like all-America football. And it, they both have a place. And I, that for that, I think this movie – and like we said at the beginning – this era that it's discussing is going to, I think, especially as we get farther away from it, it becomes more and more clear how important and critical and pivotal it was. And so this is one of the few pieces of media that really chronicles that transition of football from like a sport to like the national pastime from like something they showed on television to being like the biggest draw on television from players sure. going from like kind of. Uh, you know, guys that got paid to play a sport to like brands, their individual brands that they're operating as and the leverage that that comes with the spotlight that comes with um, all those things are kind of shown in this film, maybe for the first time. I can't think of another piece of media that really showed all those elements in the same way to such a large audience. Certainly if you read the book, any given Sunday or other tell all books, you would know about this stuff. But you know, for like my mom, I mean, I'm sure she had no fucking idea that stuff was happening in the NFL until she saw something like this. Yeah, I would even go as, you know, in a more simplistic route. I think that, because I, I agree with everything you're saying, but I love, as much as we joked about the, the beginning of this movie and how ridiculous that first game was with all the injuries and all the crazy plays, I do love that early on they set you up with the stakes that, hey, this coach is on the down and out. In fact, there's a lot of really campy dialogue that's given by the um, by the announcers in this yeah. game, like a lot of just really heavy handed exposition where they're like, we're back from commercial break. And the two time champion coach is really down. He's lost three games straight. And yeah. it's like, okay, I get it. Like, thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for explaining all that to me. In fact, if we, if we ever got back from commercial break and Troy Aikman or Joe Buck was talking about that, the Cowboys would be like, what are you doing, dude? But it's <laughs> uh, just like, Welcome back here on NBC, man. Mike McCarthy sure looks fat and lost. Anyway, <laughs> just like, damn, yeah. dude. Loki though, roast, wouldn't hate it. Dissing, like, wouldn't immediately. hate it. Yeah. Uh, so they, as as kind of, as, again, is very heavy, very cliche. I almost feel like if you're reading in a novel and the and, and that was happening like the announcer was saying all this exposition yeah, you'd be like, in the That's first five dumb. pages i'd be like this novel sucks ass but it kind of works in this movie just again based on the stylistic elements but then you kind of get over how campy that is and it really pays off in dividends later in the yeah. movie because it it just sets you up really well with these stakes of this coach has to win now he's set in his ways here comes this this quarterback that's going to force him to not be set in his ways and he's the only way he can win and you know which side is going to win? As I said earlier about the character web, you've got the you got the young, new age approach versus the old veteran, like been there before, know how to do it approach. Who's going to win out? How can they learn to work together? And it's not just with the, the four characters I listed with the, with um, Willie Beeman and the owner, and then also um, the coach and the veteran quarterback. It's also 
I would even put down like the um, Lawrence Taylor's character, the linebacker shark, yeah, shark, as well as the you've got the the physical therapist or the or the team doctor played by yeah. James Woods, and then his assistant, who's, who's a nutcase dude. Yeah, we didn't really hit on that, but he's like he's the guy who's always about just like inject them with pain meds, and he, he's he's got field. every player on the team, dude. There's the the opening scene when they're in the locker room. Uh, one of the like other linebackers is having like a gastrointestinal issue, and he need they need to do an oil change on him, and they give him an enema right there in oh the in the locker room, and he like projectile shits all over the place. Uh, and J- and Ed Wood's character's like whole mentality is like these guys are are warriors, and if you take away their confidence, then you strip them of everything that makes them them. So it's your duty. It's not just something I want to do. It's what you have to do is you got to give these guys the feeling of invincibility. So you can't tell a guy like shark that he needs to like step off the field because he's got concussions. Yeah. And there's something about that. That is, it's not, I love when you have antagonizing forces or opposite forces that one isn't clearly um, wrong and the other one's clearly right. Yeah. Obviously, from our perspective, we view the new age approach and the like let a guy rest approach as being correct. But when you hear James Woods talk, even though he is crazy, some of his monologues kind of make sense. Oh, like, yeah. It, yeah. It's he, a, it's he, a, he, he is looking out for the though. players in some ways. <laughs> he kind of spitting, though. So overall thoughts. I mean, we've we've kind of I feel like we've ripped this movie apart more than we've praised what we like about it. But yeah, there's, there's, I, I, there is a lot to like about it. But uh Justin, even thinking about what we said, like th- this, like don't get me wrong, I don't want to like have anyone come into this thinking it's a masterpiece and it's like going to change your view of like the sport or film or anything. And it is absurd. Like the whole thing is ridiculous. Uh, the the dynamics between the players, the coaches, they are all like caricatures of what we know to be kind of the darker side of the sport of professional football. But like many Oliver Stone films, it is like a, it is one perspective that is done highly in a highly stylized way. And I do think that despite its long runtime, this movie is highly entertaining. Um, right. It is. So yeah, man, I mean, this is, this is a movie that like, I remember, I think the first time I saw this movie was in college with like a bunch of my boys. This is like a classic, like the boys watch this movie film, like very much on that list. Yeah, I said 300 earlier, and we've had an episode where we, we went into the rant about the Jason Statham film where he injects himself with adrenaline. It'd be like if you watch that film or, or 300 and you're like, well, that didn't make sense because X, yeah, Y, Z. Yeah. And you, you kind of have to realize within 10 minutes of this film that, as you said, it's a caricature, that it is they're going out of their way to be larger. The first time life. you see a hit in this movie, you're going to be like, "Okay, like this is the this is how much we're dialing up reality to like a surrealist point of view." Cuz like It's like if the yeah, it's like yeah. if Blitz became a a film, the the video game NFL Blitz. Have you ever seen the movie uh, 3 feet in the air? Have you ever seen the movie The Last Boy Scout with Bruce Willis? Mm-mm. It's no. a it's a movie that came out around the same time. It's an action movie, and it also centers around the NFL, but it's way crazier. And the opening scene of the movie is it's halftime at the Super Bowl, and the star wide receiver for one of the teams is in the locker room, and he gets a a phone call on a giant 10,000-pound cell phone. And there's a voice on the other phone that's like, you know what you need to do like if you don't win this game, like blah, blah, blah. So he smokes some crack. 
in the locker room, <laughs> then goes back Wait. out on the field. Oh, okay, this gets so much better. You haven't Wait, even gotten to some playmakers too. So you're yeah, but that, two that was more like shows. that was more like this is like I'll give playmakers this. It was a realistic depiction of what a guy smoking crack was like. It was a sad, dirty <laughs> depiction. This guy needs to win the Super Bowl. Or he's like, there's going to be, you know, violent consequences from what we assume to be gamblers. And he's like, well, then I better smoke crack because that's the only way I'm really going to have the edge that I need. So he goes out on the field. It's the last play of the game in the Super Bowl. Okay, they throw him a screen pass, a wide receiver screen pass. He has to go like 60 yards to score a touchdown. He jukes the first two guys out. But there's like, you know, obviously the other team's playing prevent. So there's two more guys coming towards him between him and the end zone. So you know what he does? If you if you were about to say, pulls out a handgun from his sh- pants and murders the two DBs on the way to the end zone, that's correct. Then he takes off his helmet. <laughs> the, the crowd rushes the field. He's on his knees in the end zone. He looks at the crowd and goes, and the cameras during the Super Bowl and goes, "Ain't life a bitch?" and commits suicide in front of the entire world. That's the opening oh, scene to this action movie starring Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans. As the buddy cops. Oh, my God. It's fucking incredible. So we were really into this, like, oh, what you don't know about the gritty side of football is, like, there's gambling. Money's involved. You know what I mean? Like, we really loved that angle for a minute. And this doesn't go yeah. that far. This doesn't – nothing that happens in this movie is, like it – is, it's all absurd versions of real things. You know what I mean? Like, the, the events yeah. could happen, just not to the, like, ridiculous, like, degree that they do in this movie. And so for that, I give them credit. It's not – it's not ridiculous in that sense, but it is – And it is it's, just it's stylized. so stylized. Yeah. It's yeah. incredibly stylized. It is so over the top. I mentioned earlier that there's 3,000 cuts in the movie, which will make your head spin. I mean, there's, there's moments in the game where there's a really cool shot of – They've got this camera that is clearly behind some sort of face mask, and so you you feel like you're the guy running towards the end zone, which is cool, but it'll last for a quarter of a second as they go to eight other shots showing him run into the end zone. And it's like, oh, I, yeah. I have no... Your sense of space is completely ruined the entire time because it's like, dude, like the editing in this movie is nuts. It's and by nuts, nuts I mean dude. horrible. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not ideal. It is very, like... Yeah, it is definitely like a time capsule of a movie as well as being like this ridiculous attempt at looking at a sport that was very very much in a, a fluctuating state at the time of the making of the film. So what do you rate it? It's a really hard one for me. <sighs> yeah, you go in many I mean, different directions with this. Like as far as like enjoyment goes, like any given Sunday is legitimately like one of the most fun movies for me. Like I watch this movie a lot. I have probably seen this movie like 30 times in my life in the last 10 years because I I just enjoy it. And again, there's just so the the stakes are so low here. You're not going to be upset by anything. You're not going to you know what I mean? So like if you like football, it's the off season, you're starved for football, you throw on any given Sunday, it's great. It's way better than like jerry Maguire or something like that um on the other hand like it is objectively like not super well written it is way overacted it's kind of way too long a lot of it is absurd especially if you are like you and i are like definitely like you know on the on the more obsessed end of football fans like it it occupies a much larger space in our brain than like probably our mom's brains and so like for us like this movie has that one degree of like blasphemy, I guess is a term for it where it's like, okay, like yeah. that's, that doesn't happen in the thing I love. Like, 
Um, but overall, man, like I think it's a solid like seven and a half. Like it's fun. It's like if it purely on like technical like prowess and like the value of the art, it's like a five. But like for fun, it's like a nine. So I'm going like seven and a half. This is like the football version of Baywatch. Yeah, very. Where brilliant. if you were a fan of, and I don't even know, like if you were a real life swim swimming uh, lifeguard, or you were maybe a surfer and you lived out wherever that's filmed, like Venice Beach or whatever, you would be watching it, being like, "This is absurd." I, I guess I'm more instead of comparing it to other things. I guess one way, one other way I could put about put this is if you were talking about this movie and you were like, "It is," you know. Two hours and 45 minutes long. It has 3,000 cuts. It's overacted. It has some of the worst costume design you've ever seen in your entire life. It has campy dialogue. It has entire scenes that you can get, that you can pluck out of the movie, and there will be no difference to it. Like, the ending doesn't really make sense, and you're not sure where the characters ended up. And it was a sports film, but the the sport itself was completely unrealistic. You'd be like, oh, so this is the worst movie of all time. And I'd be like, no, it's really no, not. Yeah, like, it's it, not I, that. <laughs> <laughs> it, so I, I, I'm trying to not give Oliver Stone much credit here because I don't think this is a great movie. I think that the writing, like I said, it's not it's not good, um, except for, as we pointed out earlier, one or two scenes from Al Pacino. I do think that the dichotomy with Jamie Foxx and L. Cool J's character is good. Despite the fact that she wasn't given too much to work with, I think Cameron Diaz and her character's role was yeah. Christina Pagniacci well. is a good a good character. I one thing right. I'll say I'll, I'll get I'll make two quick points is that as far as costume design, all the football costume design is awful. But I love the late nineties like athlete fashion of wearing like super yeah. oversized suits and bowler hats. I think that is so tight and absurd. I love it. I wish it would come back. And two, Oliver Stone movies are movies that like. If you can just enjoy them and have fun, they're they're fine. It's people that like get think that they are great art. Like if you like, I love the movie Wall Street. Okay, for what it is, right? right. Like it's an absurd movie, right. and Gordon Gecko is an absurd character. Who you're supposed to be like, okay, he's he's an exaggeration of like a piece of shit, you know, venture capitalist, investment banker. But then you meet people in real life that are like, dude, Gordon Gecko's the fucking man, and you're like, uh, no. No, did you not you watch the, the whole movie? Did you like cut turn it off after an hour? What the hell? And that's how this movie is too. Like, <laughs> if if someone's like, yeah. "Yeah, dude, I love football." You ever seen any given Sunday? You'd be like, "What?" <laughs> like that's that's barely yeah. about football. Like, it's also it's re- related to that with the Gordon Gecko comparison and the, his fans. Have you ever seen those charts where it'll say like, "Make your make the best." fictional football team and it'll have all the fictional football players you know it'll have the water oh, boy willie beeman is always on there dog and like dude willie beeman's always on there and people are like he's unstoppable and it's like that's another example of did you watch the movie because he's got <laughs> he makes some awesome plays but he also doesn't know the playbook he's always he's always messing up Bro, like, he's a horrible in the scenes leader that we see him play in they they're they go like six and three <laughs> and yeah he, he plays one successful half in the playoffs. He wins that game, and then they lose in the championship. He's, like, pretty good. Like, he could yeah. easily Brock Osweiler the shit out of the Albuquerque Aztecs next season. Like, they could pay the shit out of him, and he could turn out to suck. 
because no one's got film on Willie Beeman. You know what I mean? He could have been a flash. He's, he's Tyrod Taylor. He could, he's dude. like Tyrod Taylor. You know what? I'm not even going to give him that much because I fuck with T-Mobile heavy, dude. I like Tyrod Taylor and think he's been given a, a bum rap in the league. So I'm not even going to give Willie Beeman that much credit yet. I need to see it long <laughs> That's term. fair. That's fair. Yeah. So I, my rating, you might even hate me for this, but I think from like a writing, if, if we're staying strictly to how we've rated everything else, it's like a 4.9. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. not like it's not, but it, I, I agree with you in saying that entertainment perspective, it's closer to a six, six and a half. I mean, it and, is. And I'm glad fun. movies like this exist. Like everything doesn't need to be high art. Like there is value to camp. There is value to like low art that like anyone can consume and have fun with. I think that deserves more respect than it gets. And sure, I think that there is a temptation to constantly try to make things that are just that into high art. Like you see people on the internet be like, dude, it's bullshit that, you know, Avengers Endgame didn't win Best Picture. It's like, dude, you know, we just don't need to do that. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it can just be great for what it is. And that's fine. Like it doesn't. Who cares? You know what I mean? So like that's how I feel about this. Like. If there there might be some any given Sunday super fans out there that get really mad at that rating, but I, as someone that loves that movie, that does not hurt my feelings at all. Like I would, ne- I'm not going to die on the hill that this is war and peace. Like, yeah. And on the flip side, there there are people that need to shut the hell up about their artsy artsy taste, right? Oh, we, yeah. don't, we've, we always yeah. talk about like the 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 cocktail party Hunter S. Thompson fans or whatever, like. Yeah, or you know, there, there's a lot of movies that you use. You talk about the Oscars. There's a lot of movies that win at the Oscars that are not entertaining movies, and we, yeah, that's obvious. Yeah. We all we, it, we know that. And and the one of the great things about film, I think, even more so than like books, is that it's such a it's such an accessible medium that it it allows for a, this incredibly dramatic spectrum of low art to high art, high camp to you know some of the most moving pieces of cinema ever, ever made. Um, and I think we're, we're seeing that in other mediums too. Like we're starting to see like video games that like, Hey, you know what? Like you you don't need to ascribe some crazy level of intellectualism to Mario. Like it's, it's just fun at the same time. Like you can play video games that move you. Uh, and that's really cool. So yeah, I think allowing for both to exist, um, and not, not claiming that everything you don't like is pretentious or vice versa is is important. Right, right. You can you can as an as an as a writer, we need to acknowledge that there are different tastes for different people. We also need to realize that we can watch something that has a ton of flaws that is still incredibly enjoyable and Absolutely. just being able to sit back and enjoy it for what it is. So there's a great I'm glad we did uh, this one. There's a great uh, movie TikTok guy that I watch. He's like a, a film school graduate who like does tiktoks about movies and he's really it's kind of a cool intellectual look at film and he had this one the other day where he's like when you look up the definition of pretentious and it doesn't say movies you don't like and it's like him having a conniption and like ripping his hair out i was like that is yeah insanely accurate (laughs) like that's that is accurate well i enjoyed it if you haven't seen it, you should definitely see it. You should definitely carve out a lot of time for it, though, because like we said, yeah. it's two hours. And Bro, if they show this long. on television, this is like an, a Sunday afternoon hangover movie. Like, they turn this shit on at noon, it's over at, like, five with commercials. Yeah. Like, Yeah, it's rough. It's like it's like when you see that Saving Private Ryan is coming on TNT at, like, 11 p.m., and it's like, okay, but do I really want to stay up all night? That's going to be yes. always, the answer's always yes. Like 4.30. <laughs> yeah, like, for yeah, sure. Yeah. For sure. Well, anyways, I enjoyed it. Um, Andy... It's fun to have you back. We're yeah, excited. Man. We got a we've got a lot of fun stuff planned for the rest of the summer. We've got some novels coming up. 
yeah. which we're excited about. Um, so, yeah, and then we're going to start interviews back up soon. So um, I know some of you have been asking about when we're going to get the interviews back on the pod. We've recorded a handful. Those will be coming out in the next few weeks. So be on the lookout for those. Those will be dropping every Thursday, or mostly every Thursday. As always, this is Novel Discourse. If you like what you heard, please like and subscribe. Give us a rating and tell your friends. We would greatly appreciate it. I'm Sam. I'm Andy. We'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.